Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Prime Sports Tennis on the Prime Sports Radio Network for this Thursday, the 18th of August, 2016. I'm your host, Greg DePama, and uh, joining me live from Cincinnati, side of this week's event, the Western and Southern Open. want to welcome back our first host, who was a former tennis professional on the WTA Tour and was ranked as high as number 12 in the world. Uh, she's covered pro tennis as a journalist for publications such as ESPN and USA Today, and she is now the official tennis editor here for us at Prime Sports Network, Andrea Leanne. So, Andrea, you keeping dry? Yes, we're keeping dry. It's uh, sunny skies, hopefully, although the weather forecast for the weekend's a little bit dodgy, but uh, clear skies now to get these matches in. Awesome. And now let's introduce Andrea's co-host, the managing editor for TennisNow.com and Tennis Now Magazine. He's covered professional tennis for over 25 years and has been a contributor for both ESPN and the Tennis Channel. Let's welcome back Richard Pagliaro to Prime Sports Tennis. And I know you're not having any issues keeping dry, Richard. No, we've had the heat wave. I'm in New York, and we've had the big heat wave. The good news is I was looking ahead for the U.S. Open forecast and it's supposed to cool down considerably for the uh, for the Open, so the conditions should be much better uh, starting uh, August 29th when it all gets going. All right. Uh, top storylines we'll be discussing today include a recap of the Olympics, an update on the Western and Southern Open, and an early look at the U.S. Open, which starts on Monday, August 29th. So let's get the ball rolling. First of all, uh, let's re- do a recap of the Olympics, and uh, we've had an opportunity uh, to talk for the last uh, week or so, Andrea, about everything that uh, took place there. Uh, just give us a, 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 you know, a, a recap of what really caught your attention more than anything. Would it have been the obvious uh, Puig's gold medal win for Puerto Rico? Well, that was a huge, huge, uh, stunning result from Monica Puig. She was named, of course, after Monica Tellis. Her mother named her Monica after the former world champion, appropriately so. And uh, she just seemed destined for this, though. She named her puppy Rio the week before it started. She went down there a week early uh, to play in a WTA event, which got her in the best best uh, preparation you could possibly ask for. And she was just so stubborn out there in her aspiration for gold. The crowd, she said, really is what inspired her. Apparently, during every match, they were chanting to her, Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And it was that type of uh, attitude, the underdog attitude, I think, that just surprised all these experienced contenders like Kvitova and Kerber. And uh, it just made, I think, probably the most uh, stunning moment of the tennis event. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And also, I think you hit on a good point with the interaction between the crowd and Monica, because like if we were at Wimbledon or some even some majors like the French Open, you might not get that. Whereas the Olympic atmosphere where, you know, the national pride and as you touched on with Puerto Rico going through all the tough times economically, how vital it was to them. And, and exactly what you said, where she could hear the crowd. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And that she said internally, she's it made her believe, I can do this. They believe in me. I believe I can do it. And I think that's what's really beautiful and special about the Olympics. You saw that with the Del Potro's run, too. The Argentine fans really, really lifting him. And, you know, him looking exhausted at times, had draping his body over the net, saying the fans kept me going, that I couldn't, I had to keep fighting. I had to do it for them. And I, and I think that's a really special thing about the quality about the Olympics is that the crowd really is a factor, more so than at the majors, in my opinion. 
Well, apparently he was in tears. Del Potro was in tears after every match. That's how emotional <laughs> it was for him. He had all these wrist surgeries over the last three years. Some people did not think he could come back. They did not think he uh, was going to be able to physically do it. And to go from number four in the world to number 141 in the world and now to be back in contention for this, uh, you know, the top spots is quite quite a, a move for uh, Juan Martín Del Potro. And incidentally, they did give him, and rightly so, a wild card in the U.S. Open, thank goodness, because he did win the tournament after all. And so I think that this may be just that career turning point for him that will put him back instead to perhaps then go for, you know, try and get that number one ranking, which is he's always wanted. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think also what we've seen this year and even in recent years is when you get a quality, a top 10 former Grand Slam champion like Del Potro, and then the game is taken away from him because of injury, you see the revitalization and how much he appreciates it and how much just you almost fall in love with the game again. And I think that's it was similar with Rafa, too, after 73 days out of the game, not being able to play with the wrist. You just saw how passionate he was and how you know, how recharged he was just being able to play. And I think Federer touched on that earlier this year when he came back in Miami, even though he didn't play the match, he ended up pulling out. Just that, you know, just you miss the the actual just hitting the ball, being out there on the practice court, being on the tour, playing the matches in front of the crowds. And, and sometimes I think the grind of it sort of mentally kind of wears you down where you just need a break, you want to get away. And then the, these guys could be away and come back you know, I think it, it, it could really revitalize them going forward, especially for the for the Open. And also the goodwill that uh, Del Potro engendered among the fans. I think he'll get huge, huge support in, in New York. Well, I also so Del Potro, he had the game. He had the forehand. He had the serve. He had the weapons. Rafa, it was so great to see him finally win an Olympic medal. That was his first medal he won. He did not get to play in 2012 because of the injury. He was the only competitor to enter all three events. He did pull out the mix eventually, but he actually won it, ironically, in doubles, which he never plays with uh, Mark Lopez, his childhood friend. But in the singles, I did not feel Rafa's game was there. Yes, the passion was there. Even when he's in this marathon with Del Potro in the semis, he's running around pumping his fists after winning the first point of a game or the second point of the game, but his shots were still going very short and sitting up midcourt. And allowing Del Potro um, and eventually Tanisha Corey, who he lost to for the bronze uh, medal playoff, you know, a chance to really come in and take their swings. So I do think that even though he's back and appreciating it more, he's going to have to show more on court if he's going to really challenge for one of these titles. Yeah, the positives I took from it was that in doubles you do see that he he's a much better net player than he gets credit for. And as far as using the drop volley, using his angles, even using – the slice to come in. I felt like the core positioning is more aggressive in singles when he plays doubles because he's more accustomed to stepping in and trying to close forward. He did win the gold in Beijing 2008. He won the, uh, so he's now won gold in singles and doubles like Nicholas Massou did in 2004, but Massou did it at at the same games. But I I think you're right. It, 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 we have to, it remains to be seen how he's going to carry this forward. Uh, Though I was encouraged seeing him beat Cuevas in Cincinnati yesterday because Cuevas had knocked him off in Rio earlier this year, the, the ATP Rio event. And uh, I thought he, he played really well against the tough opponent. So I think mentally he seems into it, and he's not 
reverting back to like what he did last year when he was slumping when he when the when the press conferences would almost be like a catharsis where he would come in and confess, you know, I'm not feeling it, I'm not confident, and I need to get my confidence. Now he's saying the right things. He's saying he's confident. He's saying he can contend for majors again, and he's saying that you know, aside from the forehand, the wrist is feeling better. So I think those are those are good signs. Well, he he flew with Murray to Cincinnati, and he was certainly practicing very well. Uh, I thought though he did have some wrist injuries still, and that he that was not a hundred percent. But I guess they'll be tested in the next few weeks because uh, when you're playing in uh, Fortnite at the U.S. Open. He's going to be plenty tested with that. He won't have to play doubles, but I don't know. I'm still a little bit questionable about Nadal's performance. I think that, you know, against these big hitters and these big guys, because there's so many big guys now in men's tennis with the serves and the weapons, I still think he's vulnerable. And we have to look at all those guys like Ranich and um, even in Isner at the U.S. Open, all those Stevie Johnson now I hear is going to become, probably may become the number one ranking American male if he continues on in Cincinnati. Um, but there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, big guns out there, I think, that are um, going to be dominating. Yeah, and to pick up on your point, Andrea, he is going to play Borna Koric to, uh, Koric today in Cincinnati, and, and he's lost to him before in 2014 uh, indoors. So that's going to be a test for him. I think the good thing about the Open is mentally, because he went out early last year to Fognini in that upset, he doesn't have the pressure of the ranking points where he can almost look at it like, look, I can only gain from this. This can only be positive for me because I went out early last year. So I think mentally he's in a better place. By the way, uh, what does this say, guys, about – because, Andrew, we talked uh, about Madison Keys and uh, her growth and, 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 and things were kind of looking good the last time we spoke as she was heading into the later stages of the, of the event. Uh, but she did, she wasn't able to get the job done against, uh, obviously one of the top players in the world in Kerber, but, uh, Puig was now, how, what does that say? If anything, cause sometimes players, different paths, sometimes you get upsets like Puig and that comes from nowhere. And maybe, maybe, maybe Puig will, that'll be the pinnacle of her career. Uh, but what do you think was going through Keys's head right now, knowing that, Hey, you know, I feel I'm a better player than Puig, and yet she's now eclipsed something that I, I thought was mine first. Well, I don't think Puig's eclipsed Keys just yet. Uh, Keys is number nine in the world, and we haven't seen what Puig's going to do um, after this big, big victory in the Olympics. I hope she, I hope this becomes a turning point for her, and she goes yes. on to greater heights in her ranking and on the tour events. But you know, Keys right now is still the one to watch. The difference in Rio is that Puig just moved better than uh, Keys. Uh, Puig has improved her fitness, she's improved her conditioning and her uh, agility, and she was just able to get to more balls and hit that backhand down the line that Keys was not able to do. Keys is going to have to improve her mobility. Everyone knows that. They know her backhand's weak. They play it all the time. They serve to it all the time. I mean, Kerber just thrilled her time and time again on that backhand side. And so the coach, her coach, Thomas Hogshead, knows it, and they, you know, uh, they're going to work on it. But right now, Keith still has these huge weapons that Puig does not have, and she still has the top 10 wins, and she's had a more consistent overall record at this stage. So even though she did have a little bit of a setback, she certainly was disappointed. Apparently, she was uh, inconsolable after the loss to Kerber, and Kvitova said that bronze medal playoff also was disappointing. 
um, she's still she's still the future, I think they see. And Puig definitely is someone who she's going to have to look over her shoulder for. Richard, what do you think about what your gut tell you about Puig and whether or not this is one of those one hit wonders or whether or not she can use this uh, talent wise? What your gut tell you about a potential springboard for the rest of her career? I mean, she's so young, and this is such a, a huge moment. I think she can only go up, and it's a good point about the conditioning because, you know, Agassi used to say when you get fitter, you get smarter, so you can make better choices as far as your shot selection, as far as when to roll a high top spin ball back to get back in the rally and when you're going to crack it the backhand down the line, like Andrea said, she did so well. So I think she can only go up. It's kind of a shame they didn't have the ranking points this time at the Olympics because it really would have propelled her <laughs> to a seating at the Open, which would have been great for her. But I think when you beat the caliber, I mean, she beat three Grand Slam champs. I mean, she beat big-time players, you know, to beat Bogorutha, to beat Kvitova, to beat Kerber number two in the world. Those are huge wins for someone who did not have a, a track record against the top ten. So, I mean, that can only help her confidence. Yeah, I think she's definitely got top 20 ability, maybe, maybe higher. I agree with Andrea that, to me, Keys has more upside because she's more – explosive she has more weapons and when she's on her game she can dictate the game against other players whereas with Puig Puig's advantage is the court coverage she's quicker than Keys because she's not as big also but I think Keys when she's on she can go out and dictate play and that's a big big thing and also the ability to hold serve in women's tennis is immense and she can do that when she's on I think what Hodg said what he's trying to do and what they should continue to do is give her some patterns you know, it's four all, 30 all. What are you going to do? Can you kick the serve out wide? Look for the four. You don't always have to look for the ace. You know, give her some reliable patterns where she can attack her forehand, get the midcourt forehand, and really take charge. Because right now, you have someone like Kerber who can drag her into longer rallies and then drain the errors out of her. She's a little erratic off the backhand side right now. Andrea, what do you think about the overall scheduling, the format, uh, anything that you feel the U.S., uh, the, the Olympics, that they need to do as far as tennis is concerned uh, to improve uh, next time around? Well, they have to make the men's final shorter. You can't have a three out of five over a four-hour match uh, in a televised audience. You know, where television dictates so much these days, you have to – uh, keep it down to under three hours. And I just don't think you need a three out of five set men's match. First of all, the players are tired too. They've had to have this condensed week of three events. Some play two, some play three with the doubles and mix. And it's day in, day out of multiple matches. The men don't need three out of five. And I think they can make the same statement with the two out of three uh, set final and the men's uh, thing and make it also more palpable for the viewers at home. When you have you know, Bolt capturing an entire world in under 10 seconds and the <laughs> longest individual performance being under two hours, even the marathon was shorter than the men's final. You have to uh, think about that in terms of a business, in terms of a viewership, and that's the biggest format change I would make. I also think that it would be nice if they added some team component to the tennis like they do in the other sports, even the gymna like the gymnastics where they have their individual pursuits, but they also have that overall team medal. I think that just adds what the essence of what the Olympics is about, and it's playing for team, playing for country. So those are the two things. And 
The last is I would probably uh, use the more of the time during the Olympics. Why does this have to be one week? Uh, the players are not going to coordinate with the tour anyway if they're going to play the Olympics. Most of them don't. So why not make it a 10-day event and not kill everyone in six or seven days? What about you, Richard? Yeah, I think Andrea hit on it, especially that last point. Nadal was talking about that in Cincinnati this week. He played 23 hours on court. He tried to play all three disciplines. He wound up pulling out of the mix for exactly that reason. The schedule is just too compressed. You cannot ask these players to play singles and doubles in the intensity of an Olympic atmosphere in a week. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, I don't know what. And I agree about the, the best of uh, – it should be best of three sets, not best of five. It also distinguishes it from the uh, from Grand Slams if you did that. But I think the schedule, they should give more time, make it a 10-day event, and then you'd have more players trying to play doubles and mix. And you get stories like Venus Williams playing with Rajiv Ram and winning a silver, stuff that you wouldn't, you know, you would get more of that, in my opinion, if, if you spread it out. I think another thing is, um, you know, in tennis, every coach from juniors to pros, they'll always tell you keep the eye on the ball. The eye on the ball in this case is the ball always changes, and Murray talked about this, where the Olympic ball was a Dunlop ball. They go to New York, it's the Wilson ball. And to the players, that's a big that's a big change when you're changing the ball tournament to tournament. I wish they'd have more uniformity you know, throughout the summer season, try to get one ball land consistently so that they can adapt and, you know, because the conditions are always changing. Okay. Well, actually they use different balls for the women and the men at some of the combined events. So it's, it's very inconsistent. I think that has to do also with sponsorship. Yeah. Andrea, out of curiosity, because I know you, you were a great doubles player too. Did they use in the mixed doubles? What ball do they use? Do they use the women's ball, the men's ball? What are they? I don't even know the answer to that. Oh, I don't, I think they just, well, the, at the Grand Slams, they use the same ball for men and women. But at some of the combined events, like Indian Wells and Miami, they use different balls for the men and the women. Um, so there's no mixed doubles. But the mixed doubles uh, at the Grand Slams is just this typical Grand Slam ball, whichever yeah. they're being sponsored by. All right. Before we let you go, Richard, uh, we are going to segue over to Cincinnati where – uh, Andrea is, and talk a little bit more about the Western and Southern Open. But before we do that, uh, I do want to ask you about what do you think uh, the big story this week on the WTA Tour has to do with Serena pulling out, and uh, Angelique Kerber now has an opportunity to be number one if she wins this week. So that's a pretty big story. Yeah, that's immense because Serena has held the uh, you know the consecutive. She's aiming for Steffi Graf's consecutive weeks at number one streak. I think she's three away from that right now consecutive weeks not overall weeks but uh you know the shoulder i think she did the smart made the smart decision pulling out because the open is the big prize and that's where she could break Steffi's record and win her 23rd major so i think it's the right move for serena that she went there she gave it a shot tried to practice not feeling it in the shoulder but for kerber you know this is huge to be she would be the first german woman since Steffi if she's able to win the title and rise to number one and it's going to be interesting the pressure, how she copes with, you know, when you're going against Serena, all the pressure's on Serena. Now, look what happened in the Olympic final. Monica played great. No doubt she deserved it, but I felt Kerber was a little bit flat in that third set. Now, emotionally, how is she going to bounce back with, you know, with history within her grasp right here? It, it's, it's, it's really going to be uh, fun to watch. And what do you think? Yeah, that, I mean, Kerber. Go ahead, Andrea. Kerber just seems to me like the, you know, Nadal, the women's tour. She's just such a fighter out there. And I agree that she did not have any spark on her shot. She really couldn't put any ball away. And she just was left in that retriever mode of trying to be the counterpuncher to Puig. 
But how ironic that once again we have Kerber protecting her best friend Steffi Groff's record. Of course, she goes up to Las Vegas and she gets uh, advice and tips and practices with Steffi Groff. And it was uh, she who sustained Groff's record by winning the Australian Open for the short term. But now she's in the position of trying to do it again on a much bigger note. And I actually think she could win Cincinnati. I don't think there's anyone out there who really believes as much as she does in her ability and who is as much a fighter. And I think the conditions do favor her. But it's a long way to go for that. And I agree with you, Richard. She has to recover from all the matches she's played in Rio to really pose any threat in Cincinnati. Yeah, and I think the conditions, it's a good point because it's a faster court from what the players say than Rio, and the faster court definitely helps her. She likes the low ball. She drives, she redirects well off pace. Um, I think the thing with her is, like, you've got to pound her second serve. That's her weakest shot, and she gets away. I know she's a lefty in the slice and all that, but, I mean, some of the second serves, they're like sub-75 miles an hour. If you're playing her, you've got you've got to make her pay for that second serve. All right, Richard, uh, what's going on at TennisNow.com? What's uh, a lot going on, right? Olympics, a big event this week, U.S. Open in two weeks. So this is a pretty busy time. Yeah, it's huge, and we've been doing our live blogs daily. So if anyone out there listening, check it out. It's on the homepage, and we have our, uh, you know, just every day from Cincinnati, we have a live blog. We have Eric Goodrich, one of our top writers. He's out there this week. And, uh, you know, we're fired up for the for the Open, for the qualities next week, and then the draw ceremony, and then, the start of the Open with a new roof, I think it's going to be a blast. All right, Richard, thanks for checking in with us, and we'll talk to you next Friday morning when we preview the U.S. Open. Thanks so much. Take care of both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Richard. All right. Again, that's Richard Pagliero, and uh, we will have a lot to talk about next Friday with the U.S. Open. And, you know, after what we've seen at the Olympics, and I think that you can kind of say the same thing with, I mean, it's a different sport, golf, but golf had a, a, a very similar uh, schedule, very hard schedule, all majors, all in with the Olympics, and, and, and where, where do you play, and and, and there, you're going to tire out. We saw a, a long shot win the last major, and you just wonder, uh, especially we have seen upsets win before at the U.S. Open, you just wonder with, with the scheduling the way it is, and then throwing the Olympics, if... Maybe we will get some long shots at the U.S. Open in a couple of weeks. Well, there are always some surprises at the U.S. Open because that's just the nature of the environment and the atmosphere, and you get those night matches going, and the seeds are vulnerable. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see how Kyrgios, Nick Kyrgios did. He lost the courage, uh, courage last night in a tiebreaker in the third set, broke four rackets on court right after the match. <laughs> hope he has more in his bag, but went through the bag. He was so upset, but that's the type of guy that you wonder if he can really make a move at the open and feed off that atmosphere. It'll help Puig and players like her who need that, you know, fan support to get through the matches. And it will help the Americans, I think too, because they, they need a lot of push as well. But I still think we're going to look at uh, what the guys are telling me. It's still an Andy Murray, Novak, Djokovic show. And they're looking at those two because they're looking for Andy Murray to try and overtake number one at the Open. We talked about Kerber and uh, Serena, but uh, for Andy Murray to overtake Novak for the number one spot, there would be huge as well. Yeah, and I mean, Novak, you just look, he's played so good for so long that eventually... Uh, you're you know, eventually you just you, you can't keep playing at that level. And then when you do have a bump in the road, uh, I just don't know if that's the right time to take a player. 
Right. I mean, we're ha- we have to hope that this break, he did pull out of Cincinnati, lost him, as we noted, the first round in Rio. We hope this break has, you know, reignited his spark and gotten him back on track and he's focused and fierce as he always has been on court because he hasn't been himself. He wasn't himself at Wimbledon and he certainly wasn't in Rio as well. So he'll have the team in place. He loves going into New York. He has a, you know, lots of friends in New Jersey whom he stays with and he's very comfortable there and he's comfortable with the crowd. Of course, last year, it's so ironic, we were talking about Roger Federer overtaking Novak and Roger Federer beat him in Cincinnati and that was the big talk going into the Open. And now we're really talking about Andy Murray. And it'll be interesting to see how he does in, in the enduring of all these matches. Ironically, he also says that he is better scheduled this year than last year. He had to come right after Wimbledon to the United States to play a smaller event in Washington for a sponsor and really never got the break. And he felt that he uh, peaked too early and was too tired by the U.S. Open. And he feels this year he has absolutely scheduled himself perfectly and feels he will peak for the U.S. Open. So it'll be interesting to see. And we'll get a good preview of that here in Cincinnati. All right. And by the way, as we mentioned with uh, Kerber, uh, what's what is the is there much of a difference? And I'm not talking psychologically, but with the draw, if if you're either number one or number two for the U.S. Open. I don't think there's a big difference in one or two. I think there's a big difference if you're in the top four. That player who's seated number five uh, is going to get one of those girls in the quarters instead of the semis. So, for instance, it's now that Roger's out of the Open, Nadal will be in the top four. He'll be seated in the top four, and we are expecting. And for Kerber, though, I don't think it really matters because okay. uh, I don't really think she looks at it in terms of draws. To her, everyone's tough, and she's just got to take one match at a time. We heard Simona Halep say the same thing yesterday. She's in Kerber's half in Cincinnati. She's going to be tough for Kerber. She's always very feisty. And so you have enough depth in the women's game where we're going to see tough matches early on. All right. As far as the Western and Southern Open, where you are located in Cincinnati, even though there's been a lot of rain there, you take a look at the draw. And really on both sides, if Serena was still there, correct me if I'm wrong, but all both top four seeds, men and women, still alive, correct? Um, right now, yeah. They, they've had this. First of all, this tournament is just fantastic. This tournament, the facility set the mark years ago for these combined events. They do a beautiful job, and it's just what uh, the players need right now. It's in a very low key area, it is driving distance for several states, so they get great audiences, they get great crowds. Um, but it's very low key. It's very, you know, they come and go, and there are plenty of courts to practice on, and so there's no tension or anxiety. They really can relax here. And so most of the players were out there squeegeeing their own court yesterday, trying to get some practice in. But uh, I think that you know we'll see. This is going to be a very good preview to what we'll see in New York. And I don't think that usually what happens in Cincinnati is very much what happens at the U.S. Open. So it will be interesting to see if Kerber can win here, then I do think she will have added pressure going into New York as the number one player in the world. Okay. Uh, On the men's side, and uh, you, of course, know when these matches are scheduled, but Andy Murray uh, will take on Kevin Anderson. The winner will take on either Tomich or Nishikori. So if that were to hold Nishikori-Murray, this is starting to get to a point now with Nishikori. I mean, he he, he advanced uh, over the last couple years 
became you know a top ten player, uh, but he seems to be having a tough time uh, in in not just during the year, but of course magnified in some of the bigger events to break through, beat the big guys. And win one of those big events, uh, especially the Grand Slams. So uh, what do you think about that upcoming potential matchup of Nishikori Murray? Well, Nishikori seems to beat the players he's supposed to beat. It's beating those top four that he seems to struggle on at those big moments, yep. including Andy Murray, who he just lost to. By the way, I do have to mention Murray did have the trainer out on court for his shoulder last night. No one thinks it's a major injury. It could be just you know wear and tear of the grind, but... There is a possibility. It would not surprise me if Andy Murray decided to, you know, perhaps withdraw or something. Oh. If he felt that he really needed to protect himself. But if, in fact, Misha Corey does earn a rematch with him, it's you know, this is a great surface for um, him. He the ball bounces high. He loves uh, right into his power zone. And at some point, he is going to get gain enough experience and get used to playing these big guys enough where I think he will come through. And it was so interesting in Rio to see all the Japanese officials lined up literally courtside in tears when he won that bronze medal. I mean, they were weeping. It's so important for the Japanese uh, tennis economy and that country as a whole to see this man do well because he has really spurred a whole generation behind him. So that is another whole story in itself, and that's something we would definitely have to watch for at the U.S. Open because I think that Nishikori definitely feels that expectation on him. Yeah, Nishikori is uh, still 10-1 to 1 to win this tournament. Uh, Andy Murray, of course, is the favorite. Uh, he is almost even money. Uh, and then you, if, uh, well, whoever gets out of that, again, the top seeds, Murray Nishikori, would take on uh, potentially either uh, uh, Raonic uh, or, uh, how do you pronounce Dominic's last name? Them? Team. Team. Yeah. Okay. He, so Dominic. He got a default today. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Oh. So Monfils. Uh. It was a default. Right. He uh, withdrew. He. Uh, nothing. Nothing serious. He just is getting ready for the Open and didn't want to chance it with a, with an injury. But he he withdrew the team. You know. Again, I think that uh, it's really a question of how Andy Murray's going to perform in this tournament. If he performs up to ability, he he should win it because. Sure. At this stage, he also is trying to become number one, and getting those points, those computer points, is a big deal. So he has more more at stake than the rest of the players. Um, but, you know, again, just, Ranich just beat Isner yesterday in two tiebreakers, and there's a little side story erupting between Isner and Johnson over the number one American uh, ranking, okay. uh, as far as who's the top American. So we'll have to watch that, too. But... Um, it's, it's a tough men's draw. I mean, this is probably the toughest men's draw that I've seen. They have 16 of the top 18 in the draw. Yeah, it looks like then it more than likely we'll see uh, Ronich and who knows, maybe a rematch with Andy Murray. Uh, it, it's very <laughs> possible if Andy Murray's healthy and he doesn't pull him on feast, uh, we could see that. Uh, then in the other uh, side of the draw, uh, you have a good matchup, Burdich and Silich, uh, and then Korich and Nadal. Uh, of course, Korich is the the one of the top long shots that's still out there at 80 to one, uh, and then the winner uh, on that side will take on either Sanga or Stevie Johnson. Uh, Dimitrov Warinka going on right now. So, uh, what about Stevie Johnson's chances against Sanga? He is such an underrated player, in my opinion. He goes uh, under the radar. He's got his 
he has his beard and his cap down. He's almost (laughs) in disguise out there. No one really notices him, but he wins. He keeps winning match after match and rising in the rankings, and he's small jumps. And he is, and he almost beat Andy Murray in Rio. He was up a break in the third set. Yes. He ended up losing in a tiebreaker. So he's right there with the top players, and he's someone I think you have to look at as a dark horse in any draw. Now, where would you draw the line uh, between uh, talent and, uh, and 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 psychologically being able to win certain matches? Because as we know, every, you know, and of course you know, being an athlete, a lot of the times it's not, it's not what's you know what what you do as an athlete. It's 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 how you handle it upstairs in your head, uh, and but still, you have to have talent. So where do you think that is uh, in in whether it's the men's or the women's? Uh, but starting in the men's, where do you think that that line is drawn? Is it is it yeah, these guys in the top four are just so good, it don't matter. Or is it because they are so psychologically better than the other guys that, you know what, I think anybody in the top 50 can be that way or in the top 20. It's just a matter of those guys in the top four. They just have it upstairs over the other guys. Where would you draw that line? Well, I think it's record versus potential. If they have the record, they've obviously learned how to come up with the stuff in the big moments and win the titles. And so the top players, the very, very top we're talking about, one, two, three, four, they've learned to do that. They have the records to show it. And the dark horses or the rising stars that we talk about have potential. They have the game. They have the tools. They have the, you know, the entourages and the coaches. And everything's in place for them. It's a matter of them putting the pieces together and mentally doing it on the big moments. And we talked about with Richard how conditioning and fitness and the physical side of it gives them the confidence then to mentally know that they have earned the right to go and beat a top player. So it's all connected. And uh, that's why it's always interesting to see when these career you know, turning points happen at these grand slams because they're able to put it together. All right. As far as the women, and again, you still have Kerber, Halep, uh, they're alive. Uh, they're on one side of the draw. Uh, and then you have the other side. You got Gabrine, uh, who maybe catches a break because Serena is not there, which is a big break. Uh, but outside of those top three, uh, give me another player that you think might be able to make some noise the rest of the week. We'll have to watch Muguruza. I mean, she did win the French Open. She is, she again has all the tools. She obviously has done it. She knows how to put it together, but she just did not seem herself uh, in the last uh, round. She beat Coco Vandaway, but it wasn't very convincing. She looked really very uh, sketchy out there and was constantly looking at her box, constantly looking for answers. And I also think she's made some technical changes on her backhand and her serve, which I don't think have been very helpful. So there's a lot of question about her, but you can't rule her out. Um, but I absolutely think this is going to be a Halep Kerber decision. They hate playing each other. It's always a battle. It goes three sets every time. They were both coached by the same guy, Darren Cahill. They both wear Adidas. And so it, it is really um, quite quite the contest. And whoever wins that battle, if they end up playing, I think will end up winning the tournament. But um, Who can upset Muguruza? Who do, you think can ups- Who do you think can upset Muguruza? Well, I think anyone can upset her at this point. Who, who, give, me a, give me the best candidate well she lost in rio to Puig, so you know when we saw her 
you know, she didn't even play in the Canadian Open because she got to the tournament and then decided she didn't feel well. So we don't even know how she shows up every day, but she does have the talent and she has the shot as she showed at the French Open. She's a big girl. She's tried to work on her movement. She's tried to work on her conditioning. She is far fitter than she was before, but it's really the mental that's so questionable about her. You just don't know what she's thinking. Who's on her side of the draw that she'll probably have to go up against? Um, well, right now she played last night in her second round, and I don't. You might actually have a draw in front of you. I am <laughs> sitting here by the uh, stand, so you can. I'm going to let you tell me. <laughs> well, let's see. You have, uh, and again, it, it, I'm not sure. You've got Radwanska. Uh, actually, let me let me give you the four players that are still left that are the top players, regardless of draw. Uh, and you tell me which one of these players might have the best chance if they play their best. You got Radwanska at seven to one, uh, Pliskova at nine to one, Kanta at fourteen to one, and uh, Sibokova at sixteen to one. Which one of those four I players? Think, well, I think you have to watch Sibokova in that top half. She was in Serena's half. Uh, I always think she's she's a real fighter. She's very solid. She moves beautifully. She's not a big girl. She's only about five three, but she is tough. And you really have to beat her. Uh, to win those matches. She's not going to beat herself. Okay. She makes you play a lot of balls and do a lot of work out there, and her opponents have to be very patient and very skilled to, to win. So right now I think she's the most willful of, in that half, and I would look for her to be the, the toughest, and Serena did pull out. Okay. And the other half is Hal Kerber. All right, and and out of the four I said, she's got the biggest number at 16-1, to 1. so we'll see if she can at least uh, get to the final and have a shot. Uh, all right, taking a look ahead, U.S. Open, uh, quickly got, again, Djokovic, even with all the struggles, is still a heavy favorite to win it uh, at minus 125, so he's not even at even money. Uh, Serena is, so you got that's normal. Uh, but Andy Murray, 2-1, to one, still uh, not bad odds for a player playing better than anybody right now on that side. Uh, you mentioned Curios as maybe uh, somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, he is uh, definitely a long shot at 40 to 1. Uh, you also have uh, Isner and Monfils at 100 to 1 and Steve Johnson at 200 to 1. Uh, out of those wow. players, who, I mean, do, do they all have a shot, each one of them? When Stamarinka tells me this is really just between Andy and Novak, as he calls it, uh, you know, I, I think that that's what is reflected in the public's view as well with these betting odds is that they really see those two a level above the rest. You don't have Roger in the draw, obviously, because he's injured. Nadal, um, Richard's a lot more optimistic about Nadal than I am. I think that he's better but not near where he was. His shots used to push his opponents back behind the baseline and put him on the defensive. Not, he's not really doing that as much anymore. So, you know, whether it's a Ranage or it's a um, – Team or a Curios who end up being the dark horse and providing the upset, um, I, you know that would be interesting to watch. You get into those night matches with those New York crowds, yep. and anything can happen. Yeah, and De Potro, by the way, sixteen to one, not bad for players. Well, you he's said. won there, so yeah. there's no one who knows New York better than Del Potro, and there's no one who feeds off a crowd better than he does. As was shown in Rio, so he will be a sentimental favorite. Uh, crowds just love him, and. And he returns the favor. So they, uh, he has a lot of flair, a lot of charisma, and in a time where the men's game needs a lot of flair and charisma. So he will be very helpful in that draw. 
Are you surprised that Muguruza is the second choice uh, behind Serena at seven to one, with Halep and Kerber at ten to one behind Muguruza? I'm very surprised at that. I have no idea why they would do that because she has shown no results really on the hard courts and never has done that well at the U.S. Open. Last year at this time, it was a disaster. She was splitting with her coach. She was trying to find a new coach. And there always seems to be a little bit of uneasiness this time of year on the hard courts, although her game is very suited to it. But, uh, no, I have no idea. I think <laughs> I'm going to be most, uh, most interested to see how Serena comes back. We have seen Serena now not really 100% in Rio, and um, she had the big win at Wimbledon. But there have been stumbles this year. This has not been a perfect year for her. And she's struggling on, you know, several counts with, uh, you know, injuries and trying to keep mentally stimulated to stay in. She's going to be 35 years old in um, the fall. So I'm most interested to see how she's going to perform because I still feel it's Serena's game to win or lose. Well, I just think based on what you just said, uh, what's been going on with Djokovic, the fact that and we'll find out what happens with Murray this week. I actually think that if Murray wins this week, it could work against them. Uh, in, in a strange way, uh, as long as he's healthy. Uh, I just think because how, how many times can you just keep doing it? Uh, I, I just get the feeling that we could have some big surprises this year at the U.S. Open. I just really do. I think this is, this is, a, this is a year that is setting up that we may see uh, some of the top seeds not there in the final uh, and, and, and that, that would be nice, you know, that, 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 that we, cause we saw it a few years ago, of course. Uh, and, and like I said, we, we, we do get an opportunity to see it at the U S open every once in a while. So I, I would think that'd be great if we can get to that point. We'll talk more about that when we preview it next Friday, by the way, Puig is 25 to one all of a sudden and Venus is 50 to one Venus 50 to one. Does she have what it takes to go two weeks and win a U.S. open? I, if you're asking me, no, I don't think she does. I think she could do damage. Uh, night matches will be better. But her energy levels are so up and down in individual matches. I, from set to set, I almost wonder, you know, what is going on nutritionally and, and, and fitness-wise with her. We know she has the Sjogren's. We've known that. But still, her matches are very seesaw um, in momentum. And uh, I don't think she could go fortnight in a single. Doubles may be a different story, but I think they're going to let the doubles go for now after yeah. the disaster in Rio. Um, no, I, I think that Puig is someone who will do well. She, she will feed off that crowd as well. Yep. She'll be a media darling, and she'll be coming into her own. But it's a big ask for her because uh, the only result she's really had is Rio. So it'll be interesting to see how she parlays off it. All right. So, again, that is next Friday. Right now we have it scheduled for 11 a.m. We'll preview the U.S. Open. Uh, we should have probably a good hour. Uh, we'll have an opportunity to break down both uh, draws, men and women. We'll go over all the odds. We'll, make, we'll get predictions. And uh, also, we'll definitely I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna nail you into a corner and and make sure I get some nice long shots out of you. Uh, and I'm gonna give you a list, and and you're gonna have to choose a couple because you'll have no alternative. Uh, well, so, Greg, I'm gonna go. I can tell you one right off. Now. I, I would pay to watch Curios play. I don't know if he's gonna okay. win. He's gonna entertain. All right, that's uh, nothing wrong I with that. That's a good one. You, yeah, no, I, I agree though. We're gonna see a changing of the guard sooner than later, whether it's this open or the next one. 
we are definitely seeing a changing in the guard as we speak. And so what better time yet in New York? They love that. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. It would be very entertaining, and we look forward to it. So, again, we'll talk about that next Friday. You'll also, of course, uh, have your reports uh, come out here over the next uh, week or so before the U.S. Open. And then we'll be uh, we'll be sure to put out also a U.S. Open preview report. Uh, we'll, we'll get that out as well uh, sometime next weekend. Of course, the draws come out, what, next Thursday, right? Yes. Okay. So that, that'll that give us a couple of days to formulate a plan as far as exactly what we think is going to happen for the U.S. Open, which starts on the 29th. And as Richard said, uh, looking forward to seeing if it does rain, uh, which it probably will over two weeks, uh, the new roof. And that should be interesting. So. Oh, I'm very excited about the new roof. I think it changes the whole complexion of the event. It's so exciting that they finally got this done. And they really deserve enormous credit. The USDA, Katrina Adams, David Haggerty, they fought and fought and fought to get this done. And it was so important to do it for this tournament. You have to play tennis every day. You have to do that for your fans. And uh, they, they accomplished it. And it was it was not an easy feat either. And it, it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, so that's going to be very exciting in and of itself and something to look forward to, regardless of who wins and loses, because uh, you know you're going to see tennis every day. All right, Andrea. So uh, we'll talk to you again next Friday, barring any other breaking stories that come out between now and then. Uh, don't forget to check out our uh, on-demand shows within hours following each live broadcast on this website or on our iTunes page under Prime Sports Network. And you can also follow us on Twitter at PrimeSN. You can follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Pagliaro. And uh, for Andrea Leand and Richard Pagliaro, I'm Greg DePama. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you back here real soon.